Welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Move Daily Health Podcast. I'm Dane Wallace here with Freya Spence, and our guest today is Dr. Jenny Thompson. Jenny is a certified exercise physiologist and chiropractor with over 14 years of personal training and health industry experience. Over the years, Jenny has worked with a variety of clients, both adults and children, ranging from professional athletes to everyday clients with chronic disease. She has also been involved with the occupational fitness testing of structural firefighters and power line workers, as well as preseason testing for NHL athletes. Jenny has long been a vocal leader in the Canadian fitness industry, helping female clients find empowerment through movement, and we are excited to have her on the show today. Jenny, welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. So we know you personally and know that you've worn many hats within this industry and have been both on the research side when going through school, but then also on the practical application side with every every population out there. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your path through the fitness industry and how you first got into it and where you are currently today? Yeah, so uh, I ended up in the fitness industry because I was a kid that liked to move a lot. So I was in sports every night of the week when I was younger and physical activity and movement just became a real passion for me and a pastime. From that, through high school, I played varsity sports, ended up at Queen's studying physical and health education. She was one year younger than me, so we didn't really associate. No, she was, not at all. She was just one of those young kids. Just, yeah, <laughs> just, a, just a wee baby. Yeah. Uh, from there, I really uh, came to recognize the value not only of um, movement and health, but also of mindset and mindfulness and health, uh, which led me to a postgrad diploma in counseling and then a master's degree in fitness science with a focus on occupational fitness testing and testing for sport. Um, and eventually to chiropractic school so I could just help my clients a little bit more with hands-on treatment for those who need it. Because the other few things weren't just enough. (laughs) (laughs) We know you well. We're like, if Jenny can do one thing, she'll do 10. This is is true. (laughs) One of the things that you did in that time was run some small group training Mm -hmm. for women in particular because you realized in your words that this was a niche that wasn't well addressed what do you find are some of the barriers that a lot of people females in particular have when it comes to exercise movement in general yeah I think that for females one of the main barriers is just the way that they have been programmed through media from the time that you're younger if you look at popular magazines or popular media and through big companies, like I also worked with Nike for a little while, females are often fed the notion that they're supposed to do conditioning and they're supposed to have a slender figure and that weight training or strength training is going to make them bigger, bulkier, might not be safe, especially in in unique situations that women face, like pregnancy. Um, So I think that funnels a lot of women towards cardio or towards body sculpting type treatments and they don't recognize or understand the value that strength training and proper movement can have not just for physically like for joints and muscular health but also mentally and emotionally so how old were you like when you kind of found weightlifting and you kind of got away from that media spotlight into wow this actually is awesome and really works for me yeah i first found weightlifting through crossfit actually uh so powerlifting and olympic lifting through crossfit Which is interesting because when I was at Queen's, we did the activity course with Mel. And I remember hearing like barbells are are not safe. They're for athletes only. And so when I first started CrossFit, I was a little bit intimidated having been a rather small, (laughs) small, but mighty, small, but mighty uh, person my whole life. I always thought I wasn't a great athlete, especially when 
lots of school events were like long distance running. I'm a very mm-hmm. like fast twitch springy little person. And when I first tried powerlifting and Olympic lifting, I was like, oh my God, this is it. I found it. This is where I'm supposed to be. Um, and it was just so <laughs> empowering for me. I think I was about 25 or 26 years old. I think we did that, that we both started that within a year or two of each other. They might've started maybe a year prior, which is ironically where we met. And now that I'm saying that I'm thinking oh my god it's been a decade it's been a while yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's uh it's interesting because as much we've talked about CrossFit before in in other podcasts and how a lot of people will knock on the movements but what they they also don't realize is that that actually opened up a huge community and a lot of the friends that we made there have we've all gone different ways but Mm -hmm. it's that connection piece and that's the emotional piece as well right when you feel really well supported all of a sudden you're willing to try these things that otherwise would have been immensely intimidating and in your small group training my understanding is that you've managed to really foster that by creating the right environment for people to approach them and try new things yeah cardio is good weightlifting is good you can find combinations of all of them that that work for you. Yeah. And it was really, uh, when I worked at Academy Alliance while I was doing my master's, the owner there was really like phenomenal at building community. It was one of the the things that he really emphasized that and like social media. I remember he Mm -hmm. took my phone and like installed Instagram and connected it to my Facebook. And I was like, things are going to explode. I have a technology force field. Um, (laughs) But outside of just the experience and courses and stuff that I got to do through the gym, uh, learning about how to build community and how to make people feel safe and supported and valued in in a physical environment was one of the one of the biggest skills I think that I picked up there. I'm going to pick on the word safe. Yeah. Because with pain management in particular, uh, especially within all of our practice, that's something that you realize it's not about what protocol you put somebody on. I mean, that does matter. I'm not neglecting that. But uh, the creation of safety. And so when it comes to treating people, a lot of people are really anxious when they hear the word chiropractor. You kind of have a very Mm -hmm. skewed response to it. People, it's like... um, (laughs) It's like cilantro. People either really like it yeah. or they don't. Yeah. <laughs> I like cilantro. We happen to like it. <laughs> when I was younger, I didn't. But suffice it to say, with chiropractics, a lot of people will be very fearful. Mm-hmm. And with your background, what is it that, how would you best describe how you actually treat people? Because we know it isn't just about snap, crackle, pop, but a lot of people hear that word and they immediately assume that's what's about to happen to them. And for a lot of people, that doesn't feel safe. Mm-hmm. It's a very frightening way of, uh, you know, manipulating the body. Yeah. So we, I've actually had a few patients in the last little while who will my room is at my office is at the end of the hallway in the clinic where I work and they'll be walking down the hall and I walk behind them so I can watch their gate sort of thing and they're kind of like sauntering down the hallway and they'll get into the room close the door I don't want to have my neck adjusted I'm like okay that's totally fine um and they're like really and I was like yes as you have my word I will not adjust your neck without your permission and without actually asking you I will say is it okay if I adjust your neck today before I adjust you um and that puts them at ease because I at the beginning, I wasn't doing that. Like people were like, I don't want to have my neck adjusted. I was like, okay, no problem. And then I touched their neck to assess it. And they, they just like lock up, they'd freeze. Um, when they come in, I try to explain to them that our assessment is a little more functional. I'm going to watch you walk. I'm going to watch you squat. I'm going to watch you hinge. I am going to look for joint range of motion. I am going to like do some muscle testing, feel around for trigger points or restricted joints. Um, but then your treatment is also going to have an active care component, not just here, but also at home. You spend 15 or 20 minutes with your chiropractor a week 
all of those other hours, especially in the community that I'm in working with farmers, some athletes, but a lot of farmers and physical laborers, the repetitive strain on their body from the motions that they do every single day is just so enormous. Like teaching them how to counteract that or prepare their body for it is a huge, huge uh, focus for me. That's excellent to hear. (laughs) I mean, we love it because even within our domains, we constantly talk to clients about how your time with us is to teach you the tools Mm -hmm. so that you can take care of all of those other hours. Yes. And so (laughs) one of the questions I wanted to ask you, you recently made the trip from Toronto to rural Manitoba, correct? That is correct. Yes. So you were here in Toronto and you took over chiropractic business out there. What are some of the things that you might be, you say you work with a lot of farmers. Yes. So what are some of the things you might be seeing out there in that population versus the population you would see here in Toronto? Because I'm assuming it's quite different. It is. It's it's quite different. Uh, so in Toronto, because my clinic wasn't a gym, I was seeing a lot of some repetitive strain, some acute injuries, um, a lot of what we would call mechanical back pain or mechanical shoulder pain. Um, out where I am, I find that even in their recreational activities, people do a lot of things where they bend and twist and pull like pulling snowmobiles out and uh, working on farms. So I see a lot of, um, I often call it gunking up at the TL junction, (laughs) as well as through the SI joints and a lot of shoulders, a lot of shoulder stuff. So a lot of rehab work for the shoulders. And then for the SI joint, like I can't tell you how many times I've explained neutral spine and a hip hinge uh, since I've been out there. Mm -hmm. People are like, what do you, what do you mean from my hips? Like, my hips are back. I'm pointing to my SI joint right now. My hips are back here and they're touching their SIs. I'm like, no, well, that's not actually where your hips are. I had, I had one patient who went to see a specialist. Um, she saw the chiropractor that we bought the clinic from before and was like, my hips are out when she came in the first time. I hear that at least five or six times a day. And so she was like, I went to Winnipeg and I saw the specialist and he told me that if my hips were out, I wouldn't be able to walk. I was like, well, that's actually true. If your hip was dislocated, you wouldn't be able to walk on it. And so I, I showed her a model. I was like, this is what a, this is what an MD or, or a person thinks of when they hear hip. And I showed her like femoral acetabular joint. Yeah. I was like, this is your SI joint. I was like, that's where your pain is. She was like, oh, all this time I thought they were just ignoring me and not understanding. I was like, no, they're, they're two different joints. Like... Unfortunately, the person who was here before agreed with you and said your hips were out. But in fact, it's it's mechanical SI stuff. And she was like, oh, can you write me a letter? She went back to her specialist and she was like, yeah, mechanical SI pain. That that makes sense. <laughs> so, Yeah, there's a lot of misconception out there, I think, about you know how to bend over and how mm-hmm. to use your hips. I had a question asked to me on Instagram yesterday um, just from the strongman community being like, how do you protect your back when mm-hmm. lifting stones and sandbag and some of these awkward implements? Mm-hmm. And so I just wrote back I'm like this is all about a understanding how to brace yep. to be protective of the spine and b understanding how to hinge at the hips mm-hmm. and not just flex through the lower back yeah and I'm from a rural community as well and as a kid I didn't live on the farm but all my buddies did my parents best friends owned a farm so mm-hmm. we're always on the farm and I can only imagine with all the you know baling hay and all the repetitive activities they have to do every day Mm -hmm. I can't imagine there's a lot of perfect hip hinges out there no and the thing that I find is especially for the farmers they don't see their work as sport or even like Mm -hmm. they recognize that it's hard on their body but they don't see it as like a physical pursuit it's just a job so they're not necessarily mindful of how they're moving while they're doing it Mm-hmm. Now they probably haven't had a ton of education on on mindful farming. Um, I don't feel like that's part of their that undergrad a, or graduate studies. That might be a niche market for me. I'm not sure. Um, I think it is. But just like 
just saying like when you go to bend i want you to bend from your hips like i know you do it a thousand times a day but if each time just before you go through a setup easy as abc arches bum core hinge from your hips that'll make a huge difference they come back you know that 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 really works i was like well yes that was the goal excellent that was the goal with that said do you find that because a lot of people here work in desks Mm -hmm. and so that's who you're working with predominantly they go from desk to work out and did you find a lot of low back pathologies here as well but just from a slightly different nature or was it just is it that much more in the farming industry because of their bend and hinge versus the desk where they just kind of get locked up we do. I do have a few. There's a big. Uh, not a. Let me quantify big. There's a hospital, also in Swan River, where a lot of people have desk jobs in the admin department, and I do see a lot of obviously like hip tightness, gluten amnesia, low back pain from that as well. In the farmers, it's just a different sort of, different sort of presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I was saying, TL and and the SI usually go together. We know bending and rotating yeah. is often how you're going to aggravate your SI joint. And we know that TL syndrome can actually present like SI pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find that they tend to, they tend to tweak things a little bit more and may need, may need a little more hands-on manipulation versus my desk workers where I was like, well, can you get up and walk around every half hour to 40 minutes? Yeah. Um, these muscles are tight. Uh, these joints are a little bit stiff, but you can, you can manage that through your daily habits. And so that's where you're working with populations to help them figure out how much actual hands-on they need versus how much they just need to develop slightly different movement strategies or mm-hmm. habits around it. Yeah. And what I will say, one of the other major differences from Toronto, uh, the fitness scene here, people or the health and fitness industry, I should say, people are obsessed with like, what can I do to get fitter? And how do I do my warm up? And how do I mobilize and do this and, and that sort of thing? Whereas I am where I am, fitness is not really like that. There is actually a bit of a CrossFit community there. There's no CrossFit gym, but there's people who will follow CrossFit programming from main site or something like that. They are a little more in tune with with warming up mm-hmm. and things like that but with the other population that i'm working with like they don't that's not even on their horizon it's mm-hmm. not it's not even in their mind to think about how can i mobilize or how can i do some tissue recovery work that's going to help me get through the day or help me minimize the impact that my physical job has on my that's interesting that just brought to mind a memory i my mom volunteered in guatemala medical services for i don't know nine or ten years i could be getting that wrong by a year But I went with her one of the years and they had taken care of a lot of the main issues that come from having poor water sources like parasites Mm -hmm. and so on. Mm -hmm. Because by the time I went, it was year seven. But what they realized is what much of them were complaining about now uh, was simply related to lack of stretching mobility. Because Mm -hmm. again, they were laborers, they're hiking up crazy hills, um, they're working land all day for long hours they're caring for children that are being carried on their person while they also work Mm -hmm. and as soon as we gave them some basic stretches you saw all of them were just oh this feels amazing oh yeah I feel pretty good now Mm -hmm. it was incredible just to see how impactful that tiny little thing was it's just that little little piece of body care so I find a lot of clients to bring it back to clients a lot of clients think that oh my god if I take on a stretching regime it's got to be this one hour thing Mm -hmm. if you could pick one or two techniques that everyone should do where do you think people should address their focus as far as body care oh that is a good question it's a hard one (laughs) i can pick maybe five and that's narrowing it down (laughs) yeah and 
if you were to pick for people in Toronto versus for people in Manitoba, would they be different? Oh boy. Yeah, I think they would be a little bit different. Um, Rural versus urban. Yeah. What do we got? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Goodness. Okay. Uh, so for in Manitoba, with the with the people who have physical jobs that I'm working with, proper joint mobility, uh, warm up in the morning. There are a few companies out there that'll be like, here's a stretching routine that you can do before you work. I'm like, okay, but you actually also need to move your spine if you're going to go and lift stuff. Like we need to get a little bit of motion, a little bit of synovial fluid into the joints. Uh, so joint mobility. I don't prescribe a ton of static stretching uh, mm-hmm. to my patients out there, mostly because they won't, they won't do it. They won't it. do it. Um, so it's mainly joint mobility stuff and some modalities like ice or heat if they need to for inflammation out there, as I was saying, it's very different from Toronto. So there are tons of people that I have given simple exercises like a cat camel and a glute bridge to, and uh, doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have two patients, uh, who both have hip arthritis, uh, who both were told by MDs that you just have to sort of live with the pain. Here's some Tylenol and Advil and naproxen you can take. Um, one of them was taking upwards of eight Tylenol a day before he came in to see me. He's an older gentleman. He's in his seventies. He came in like I, I did some soft tissue work with him, some mobs on his hip with a mulligan belt. I gave him a potty squat, a glute bridge and a wall plank. And he hasn't taken any Tylenol since his first appointment. Same thing with my other hip away guy. He's like, I don't, I don't understand why people didn't tell me that I should just move. I was like, well, motion's lotion. That's the tagline. Um, and those are the ones that do their exercise. So with regards to training pop, proper muscle recruitment and just mobility through particularly the hip joints and then controlled mobility through the spine, but also a stable bracing strategy uh, makes a huge difference out there. goes a long way, especially yeah. if people are spending their time in flexion at a desk or obviously in flexion bailing hay. <laughs> yeah. There was one, there was one patient that came in and he had a sore low back and he was like, you know, I was just com- also common. I was throwing wood in the fire and I was like, oh gosh, the image that that creates in my mind is just bend and rotate. And <laughs> I was like, oh no, your poor low bar spine. So I treated him and I was like, okay, so for the rest of the day today, take it a little bit easy. These are the positions you want to avoid. Okay. He came back a week later and he's like, I felt so good after you treated me. I just pulled my snowmobile out and went for, I was like, that is exactly what I told you not to do. <laughs> Just took her out for a rip, eh? <laughs> yeah. And he shows me, like, he rotated, yanked a snow. I was like, oh, gosh. Uh, so it really depends. Out there, I find I have to be very, very selective. One or two things for the people who will do them. And the other people, I, I have to explain, like, if you're not going to do the homework, then you're going to have to come and see me more often. And if you're okay with that, that's fine. But I, I can't promise you the results that I'm going to have with people who are consistent. Consistency is key doing their mobility and doing their bracing and core stability, low back stability, mm-hmm. motor programming work uh, every day. And when you were in Toronto with the population here? Yeah, I found uh, here it was a little bit more uh, motor programming and muscle coordination just because a lot of the people that I treated were athletes and so they'd been working with a barbell overhead and yeah. maybe their serratus wasn't firing properly. And they'll do it. They'll be in the gym. They'll come in early for their warm-up. They'll do their serratus slides and that sort of thing or they'll do their core bracing like they'll do their dead bug work or their TA work when they come in before their before their workout because they are working out five or six times a day and in their mind that day or five or six times a week (laughs) pardon me thank you um they are working everyone listening is like oh my god I'm really slacking off that's like 30 times I only train superhumans no um (laughs) in their mind I feel (laughs) yeah 
<laughs> my shirt literally says superhuman honor right now. What an excellent segue. No. Um, in their mind here, because they have that time that they set aside to work out, like that is their one hour or their 90 minutes where they're going to go in and they're going to have their me time and take care of their body and do their rehab exercises and then, and then train versus where I am. It's farmers. They need to get the grain on the truck and send it out to make their money that day. So that's a little bit of a different mindset. Very different motivation not feeling like crap versus, you know, earning your income and you're maintaining your career. Yeah. Yeah. And so moving from kind of the movement portion mm-hmm. more into maybe, let's say, a self-care portion. Mm-hmm. You just move from a big urban center with a lot of energy, everything happening around here to a much quieter, smaller place. A little place. bit quieter, yes. How do you find, you know, the pace of life differs and how people just generally go about their business? Is it, is it a stark contrast? It is a stark contrast. Yeah. People are a little more, a little more laid back in Swan River, Manitoba. Uh, a couple times I got laughed at cause I had like a one hour break in my afternoon between patients. So I was like, I gotta go to the post office. I got an hour. It's literally a four minute drive, uh, from the office. So there and back. 10 minutes don't need to give myself an hour and plan for traffic uh what i do find though um or what i did notice with a lot of the patients particularly female patients and i don't know if there's a connection to gender there or maybe the roles that they play in the community and in work a lot of depression and a lot of uh, fibromyalgia diagnoses uh, which i thought which i thought was very very interesting um in that community and they were they were coming in and they were particularly in bad shape around January, February, when it yeah. was dark at six in the morning, seven in the morning, it was dark at four thirty at night. Yeah. Um, so a lot of mindfulness work there. Uh, I can't tell you how many times, and I'm not, this is, I don't get paid for this. I can't tell you how many times I've recognized the, or recommended the calm app, um, mm-hmm. or belly breathing, just other grounding techniques that people can use. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of the time in a community like Swan River, where I am now, there's not that many doctors and it's really hard to get time with your doc and so a lot of my patients have either depression or anxiety medications and were never given the option or never given the information about self-management mm-hmm. um so despite the fact that there's a slower pace of life there i still find um similar levels of anxiety or just mm-hmm. general um malaise yeah yeah but perhaps from a yeah just a slightly different source yeah yeah so it's really interesting that you've you found that to be the case there and i'm wondering if it's just like you said, there aren't many doctors around. So mm-hmm. the amount of information that might reach that community versus like say a city like Toronto where mm-hmm. there's just, you know, everyone's so quote unquote connected. Yeah. We get a lot of that information. So we understand that there are, you know, there are health coaches, there are all these techniques, there's things we can follow online to try and take things into our own hands mm-hmm. with maybe being in a smaller community. It's just, uh, don't feel good. Went to the doc, gave me medications. Here I am. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and a different gym environment as well. I mean, I had the privilege of teaching across the country for DTS fitness education and saw so many different um, communities in fitness. And the East Coast is starkly different than Ontario. Ontario Mm -hmm. is massively different than the prairies. Mm -hmm. And the interest in those areas, um, I found a lot of people, uh, and I have cousins out that way, are intimidated in going to a gym environment mm-hmm. because many of the environments there are are sort of geared towards one type, one or two types, like a lot of bodybuilding mm-hmm. and then it, potentially some 
powerlifting or strongman. And if people don't fit in either one, they're a little too nervous to go, so they don't join. Mm-hmm. And so, and and that's kind of the environment that we find a lot of these modalities are introduced because when you're working with a coach of any sort, you have a lot of time to talk. Yep. <laughs> but if they're not working with anyone or around those communities, there's less time to talk and explore those potential health things. We actually just had a really interesting call with uh, a new client who works out in very remote area in uh, Edmonton, or sorry, north of Edmonton. And was remarking on that, just saying getting into healthy habits Mm -hmm. and fighting mood disorders is so much harder when Mm -hmm. the population as a whole doesn't have some of the things that just expose you to it to begin with, so you don't Mm -hmm. even know where to start. Exactly. The, uh, we have a gym actually across the street. There's two gyms in Swan River, believe it or not, big enough to support two gyms. Uh, the one's right across the street from our clinic and I... I think it was the second day I was there. <laughs> I walked over and was like, okay, I'm going to get a membership. I walked in the front door and all I saw was machines. There was a stair machine. Yeah. There were some treadmills. There were a couple bikes. I think there was a Smith machine and then a bunch of just like the sit here and push on that type mm-hmm. machines. And so I walked through to the end of the building and I saw this door and I opened it. And back there, there was a rig. There were barbells. There were bands. There was open space. And I was like, yes! Was <laughs> personal win for me. Because I was like, oh, God, I'm going to have to build a gym in my basement. I'm going to have to carry all this stuff down. Um, but you're right. Even like a lot of the women, the people that do go to the gym, as I said, there's a small CrossFit community. Mm-hmm. And you'll see them in the back room. And then there's a, a bigger portion of the community that stays in the front room. Mm-hmm. And you see them doing like dumbbell isolation type mm-hmm. movements or working on the machines, including the disc herniator that I tell everybody not to go on. I think uh, I know what machine you're referring <laughs> yeah. to. And then you, a lot of the women are just on the treadmill or on, yeah. on the Stairmaster yeah. and bikini body, beach body, huge. I can't tell you how many patients yeah. I've had come in that are like, I hurt my, my hips, SI joints, read SI joints, um, doing bikini body. I hadn't heard of that program until I was in the prairies Mm -hmm. and doing um, this like four or five years ago doing uh, an SFG certification. And I heard about this and they're like, oh, there's this app. It's so great. It shows all these things. And all I could think was, oh, dear, there's another app that is going to damage people right left and center. Yeah. I mean, I always like if people are moving and they're putting in the effort to um, to exercise or train or Mm -hmm. whatever they want to call it, I always try to be supportive but I also Absolutely. try to educate and I'm, yes, it's a little, <laughs> it's okay. You're getting into the, it depends territory. Yes. And I think we're all on the same page that we love seeing people move and build habits. Um, and the hope too, with a lot of those fitness apps is that they build the habit enough to get interested in figuring out what will work best for them long term, mm-hmm. as opposed to just abiding by a program that's not been tailored to them, but if it mm-hmm. builds a habit yeah. without injury, amazing. Yeah. And I think, uh, the other, I just wanted to touch on another point. You talked about community and talking during sessions. And I think that's one of the the places where small group sessions can be so beneficial, mm-hmm. um, with regards to building community and having time to talk, having been in the fitness industry for a long time, like working out at Fortis here, I'm totally cool. I don't feel intimidated. I can go in. It's a 24 seven gym. I can work out on my own. Um, but you ask a person that's never been to a gym before, doesn't have a community to do that. And you're right. It's very intimidating mm-hmm. and they don't get the education component, the empowerment component where we can say, this is a neutral spine. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is how we want you to train it. Now you can look for other exercises or other sports or other ways of training that as long as you know this principle, um, and with Small But Mighty, that was one of the main things. It was like I could talk and train and educate at the mm-hmm. same time. Um, whereas I was saying there's no really small training 
classes or anything like that out in Swan River. There's a kickboxing studio, but it's a traditionally focused like Muay Thai Jiu-Jitsu studio. Other than that, the small small group training just doesn't really happen. And I would agree with you that in terms of building community, educating and empowering, that's a loss, unfortunately, for it the community. Yeah. Yeah, it's community is one of those key pieces. It's again, I think, you know, you mentioned we can kind of relate this back to what you said earlier when a client comes in and say, I don't want you to adjust my neck Mm -hmm. and you have to, you know, make them feel really comfortable about that and say, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm not going to touch your neck. Yeah. And then their central nervous system will feel safe. Yes. And it's the same way with the gym too. If you go to a gym and you just don't feel safe in that environment, you're not going to get what you need to get out of the workouts you're doing because your central nervous system is just not going to feel safe throughout that process. Yeah, exactly. But then to your point about small group, that's a key way of like education always makes somebody, well, sorry, I should rephrase that educating someone empowers them Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden that big loud open space with bars and whatever else is not as intimidating Mm -hmm. or any other environment and even in your chiropractic assessments because if somebody's constantly focused on I don't want my neck adjusted they can't hear anything else you say until you've addressed that exactly even I've had a number of patients that are that come in and they're like so you do a little bit more than chiropractic and I was like well I'm a chiropractor. I do, you know, hands-on manipulation. I do soft tissue work. I do movement work, mobs, that sort of thing. That, but don't chiropractors usually just crack you? They just put the joints back in. I was like, well, part of the issue is that the scope of chiropractic is so large. Mm-hmm. There's only, well, there's CMCC in Toronto, which is an evidence-based institution, and there's a small private school in Quebec, Sherbrooke. Um, other than that, there are many schools throughout the states, and so it's true. If you go see a chiropractor, one chiropractor may just give you the, what we call in the industry, the flying seven, which is sort of like snap, crackle, pop, wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Out you go next. Um, whereas other chiropractors also do soft tissue work. They also watch you squat. They watch you move. They give you active care strategies. Some, some chiropractors use thermographers. Uh, so even as health professionals, as MDs, people who are educated in, in health and and fitness as well, you don't know what you're going to get when you've referred to a chiropractor, unless you know the chiropractor personally, or you've sent patients and they've come back and they've said, they adjusted me, but they also watched me squat and walk. And they gave me this exercise to do. And they released these muscles, that sort of thing. So. And I I think most people, when they go to a chiropractor, they want, Oh, I I feel bad here. I need that adjusted, snap Mm -hmm. it so that I can get on with my life. Mm -hmm. They kind of have that mindset. I know when I was younger and I was going to the chiropractor quite a bit when my, I was a bit younger in my lifting career and maybe not doing everything perfectly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I just wanted to get in and get it done and then get back to my lifting. I just, I didn't have any, I didn't want homework. Mm -hmm. I just, I knew what I was doing. Just ask me. Yeah. And, and so I wanted that. Do you get any pushback from your clients about your approach? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, I've had a few clients with SI issues. Um, the, the practitioner that owned the practice before us used a drop table. Uh, yes. Which Freya's <laughs> brain just I know, I almost went vasovagal again. <laughs> I said that very gently because I know you've had a bad experience with that. Um, and I don't know if you haven't seen a chiropractor who uses a drop table before. It makes a very loud bang uh, when the table drops. And so she would adjust SI joints on a drop table. SI joints don't always cavitate or make the same pop the way your low back would or mid back or even neck would because um, it's a very fibrous joint and they're like it's it's very well approximated there's not a lot of space in there some people argue that it doesn't move at all um I don't use a drop table and so patients will come in and they're like I didn't I didn't hear a bang and I was like well 
this table doesn't drop. In their mind, that bang meant that the adjustment happened. And so they have this auditory cue that they're used to hearing. They're like, oh, the table banged. Probably the joint popped. Likely they didn't feel the joint pop because often that doesn't happen if you adjust an SI joint. Um, But in their mind, okay, treatment was good. I can go now. Um, If I'm going to adjust an SI, I do it usually side posture. Or I may do like uh, a supine adjustment where I have someone like squeeze their knees together to create a little space Mm -hmm. uh, in the SI joints. And they're like, but I didn't hear it pop. Um, okay I was like but you don't necessarily have to hear a pop like this is what happens these are muscle spindles this is what's happening to the joint when we're adjusting you don't necessarily have to hear a pop in fact I'm also going to treat your t-spine because you rotate you rotate through there the tl junction but my hips hurt I I, I know but it's all interconnected and being a bit of a nerd when you have all this information I have this habit of knowledge bombing people Mm -hmm. and I have to be very careful about the information that I give them so that they don't feel Dane's looking at me because I have had to curb my enthusiasm for nerd knowledge bombs as well when trying to explain things. You don't want them to feel overwhelmed, but you want them to understand that just because a joint hurts doesn't mean that it needs to get popped. Mm -hmm. Like one of the the first week that I was out there, someone came in with a clear cut disc herniation and I was like, I'm not going to adjust you. And he called in and spoke to my partner, uh, Justin, male chiropractor. Like, I don't think she could adjust me if she wouldn't adjust me. He's like, you have a disc herniation. That's not a quick joint pop. That's like nerve irritation, inflammation. (laughs) They never came back. It's interesting because when I am going to talk about the drop table, um, when I first, (laughs) Dean's laughing, um, I won't elaborate too much, but when I first started seeing a uh, Cairo was actually very, very hesitant and uh, went to see him he actually refused to adjust me. It was actually about a few ribs being out. Mm-hmm. But what I said in, res- I respect that completely because the reason he wasn't adjusting me is because what he did in terms of all his testing was realize that my entire system was really run down. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm sure that if I adjust it, it'll go right back out of place right after. And it was, he got buy-in immediately mm-hmm. because he looked at everything. He asked me about like, are you wearing sunglasses? And I'm thinking, did you have a spy? I mean, yeah. it was a dark winter day and yes, I was wearing sunglasses because I was so beyond burnt out, but it was very honest because he said, I won't adjust you because your system just doesn't have the integrity to even retain anything. Mm-hmm. And instead he gave me recovery homework. Mm-hmm. Huge respect. In a pinch, I went to a friend's chiropractor and he put me on a drop table. And so now I've had a year of buy-in from this person that I respect tremendously and I have someone put me on a drop table and I had explained very explicitly that I was hypermobile and he adjusted a bunch of things. I couldn't even tell. He did adjust my neck. I had never had my neck touched before and I agreed to it. By the end of the day, I was on the floor. Mm -hmm. I was nauseous. I couldn't stand up straight. I wound up violently ill over the next few days. And what I learned afterwards, because this is about 10 years ago, I learned a little bit more about drop tables, but I also learned that he had no other skill set. He did His assessment was, it was the first time I'd ever been in a gown, quite frankly. I was a little oh weirded out yeah. by that. Um, it was the first time I'd ever been x-rayed oh uh, for chiropractic. So, so I was thrown off by a bunch of the environmental things, but the hypermobility and then putting me on a drop table, that was the first time I realized why people are fearful Mm -hmm. because I had someone who, who was not great at understanding a lot of different things and had one tool set that he was comfortable with using. 
And he applied it to anybody who walked in his door. Mm -hmm. And he had made the remark, oh, you're the most athletic person I've ever treated. And that was red flags. But by then I was already on the drop table and uh, in a gown. So you're in a very vulnerable state. Mm -hmm. Needless to say, I didn't go back. The clinic called me. And when I said I'd been violently ill, they defended his position. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't saying it in an accusatory way. But it's interesting because when I went back to the friend who'd referred me there, Mm -hmm. his belief was the louder the pops, the more effective the adjustment yep and what people don't understand about tissue change and also about you know genetics and epigenetics is that everybody's different but with tissue change it doesn't happen that quickly Mm -hmm. and if you are that abrasive with it all the time you can actually get the exact opposite reaction from the nervous system Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that I should have taken that advice from the friend, unfortunately, because it's not like he was in fantastic shape, Mm -hmm. but he had raved about him saying how great he felt afterwards. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of that feeling was associated with like, yeah, it was really aggressive. So it's got, it must've been good. Yeah. Yeah. The no pain, no gain. I've had a few patients say that to me and I was like, that's not, that's incorrect. (laughs) I just have a quick question for you. So when I compete down in the U S and strongman at all the big shows, so we're talking all the, you know, all the top level amateur strongman athletes, male, female, all the different weight classes show up at these events mm-hmm. and they always have a Cairo there mm-hmm. with a drop table. Oh my. Yes. And so routinely throughout the day, all these athletes like, like waiting in line, mm-hmm. if they're like, they had an event and then something doesn't feel right. They fill out this little form and they go jump on the drop table and snap, crackle, pop, and then send them away to go lift some more heavy things. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on that? Uh... <laughs> So <laughs> you don't have to be diplomatic at this point. Yes. Um, My thoughts are that I've never gotten on that table. Yeah. Not such a thorough assessment, I would say. It's just a simple form. <laughs> I mean, honestly, there is a time and a place for a drop mm-hmm. table. The clinical skill comes from recognizing when that time is appropriate and, and when it's not. There are a few patients that I've refused to adjust. And one uh, went back to her doctor who hated chiropractors and said may I please have my x-ray and MRI the chiropractor won't touch me and she's like okay here you go you can go see her Um, because I wouldn't adjust her until I had actually seen reports on her and and got a feel for what was going on aggressive a drop table can be very aggressive Mm -hmm. especially used if it's used in a snap crackle pop type way Mm -hmm. and the unfortunate thing is a lot of people will see a strong man or a large larger muscular female come in with a lot of muscle and in their mind it's like oh wow that person's huge they're going to be hard to adjust if they train properly they take care of their tissues chances are they're pretty supple and they don't need you to jump on them and also have a drop piece um, in order to adjust them if adjusting is appropriate yeah right if you if you have if a rib has i'm doing air bunny quote bunny ear quotes here if a rib has popped out Mm -hmm. and needs to be adjusted off, often athletic care, like on, on the sideline, is different than it would be in a clinic because it's like oh, this person has to get back in the game or this is a high-level competition. There's a medal on the line. I need to get this person back in here. It's, it's management, and then down the road we can take care and fix the, the source of the issue. Um, so there's a time and a place for adjustments like that, but often ribs are not a rib issue. Often they're a T-spine issue or a soft tissue issue. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't necessarily get on the drop table either. <laughs> I think that's maybe the most diplomatic way to say that. <laughs> that was that, very well At that time and place. I yeah. I, I think my opinion on that is if it's your 
chiropractor, your practitioner, somebody who knows you specifically mm -hmm. during a competition to get adjusted. Cool. Awesome. I think that's great. Mm -hmm. But just to go to a random stranger and just assume mm -hmm. that they're going to know what to do and know what your body's been through and have all that history. Mm -hmm. To me, it's just, especially if you're competing in this competition and you've got like three more events left and you want to be a top notch, yep. you should have some tools in your back pocket exactly. to try and work through this stuff rather than just jump on a drop table and hope, hope mm -hmm. for the best. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And speaking like going back to the point that I said earlier that you don't really know what you're going to get with a Cairo just because our scope is so broad and everybody's trained differently. I am a Cairo and I'm saying this. I was in the States one time. I woke up with a kinked, net, kinked neck. I refused to go to a chiropractor because mm -hmm. I was like, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to get a toggle recoil. <laughs> I don't know if someone's going to rip my head off. Like I'll just stay still until Monday when I fly back home and I'll go see my chiropractor there. They know my body. Um, and I, I also personally, I was born with hip dysplasia, mm -hmm. like bilaterally, both sides. Um, and so I've had a ton of practitioners who will do a quick assessment on me. They're like, oh, your glutes aren't firing. I said, no, actually, I have no external rotation. That's the way my hips are built. Um, and then immediately, like, they start cranking on the hips yeah. and doing such deep tissue work on the glutes, like, to the point where it happened at Queen's, actually. Wow. And I uh, was walking like a penguin because they only did one side, and I refused to go back. It was so painful, and it didn't really change very much. Um, so highlight if you have a chiropractor that knows you that's been working with you for a while that knows your body and goes to competition with you by all means jump on the job table if they're saying that's appropriate and that's what's going to get through your competition and not worsen the damage that's already happened um but otherwise i would just be be diligent about doing your homework on who you're seeing and, and how they adjust and and their track record yeah, I was going to say also like what populations they work with, mm -hmm. right? If you're a farmer and you have someone who doesn't understand the demands your body's under, mm -hmm. they might not be, uh, they're not a bad therapist, but they might not be the best one for you. If you can have someone who understands what physical demand does, especially in those modalities, mm -hmm. um, such as farming, <laughs> mm -hmm. that would be the better person. In my case, I should have known if he had not worked with athletic populations didn't seem to really understand what hypermobility was, but that's mm -hmm. dodgy because a lot of people say they do. And then you find out really quick that they actually have no clue. Because mm -hmm. um, they're like, oh, you're so easy to manipulate. I'll just manipulate everything without realizing that, you know, there's a, a huge negative knock-on on the autonomic nervous system with someone who's hypermobile. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's personal. Um, but then even, even with Dane, he you know, when I first met him, he was like, yeah, I just, I just go roughly once a week and get my T-spine put in place. And then I go back to training. I'm kind of like, well, did anybody address that you can't lift your arms straight overhead? No, I just press overhead 300 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> so it was interesting because again, that Cairo's not, is going to be potentially very good for certain populations, but mm. if they don't understand the demands that your body's under and they don't work with anybody else who's like that, then it's, it's not great. And, um, it, it goes in every industry. I'm not by any means bashing on the treatment realm because oh, in yeah. training, you know, people have the best intention. They're like, yeah, I can help this person without realizing no, their goals are like totally outside any scope that I've really played with movement wise. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you wind up with issues instead of, you know, teamwork and referring out and knowing who's good at what and exactly. going there.
Yeah, I will say that uh, we have one drop table in our office, in, mm-hmm. in Justin's office, and there are a few patients who I want the drop table, I want the drop table. So obviously I set it to like the lowest drop. Um, but every time before I use the drop table, I think of you. <laughs> think about Freya and the experience that she had. Is this person appropriate for a drop table? Is this a case where clinically and hypermobility-wise, is this a person who can handle this, who's not going to leave and, and have a negative response to treatment? Yeah, I've had, I've had a few uh, patients that I've asked about collagen issues. I've asked about genetic screening. I've asked about hypermobility in our community. Unfortunately, the knowledge is not mm-hmm. really there in the medical community, but it's something that I'm super vigilant about just because mm-hmm. you see it so commonly here where people don't recognize. Um, and you did a, an Instagram post this morning where you talked about sort of the two ends of the, of the mm-hmm. spectrum, hypomobility and hypermobility. Mm-hmm. And I try to explain that to patients like both ends of the spectrum are dangerous. It's really more important to have control and understand how your body moves. Absolutely. What are movements that are safe and efficient and work for you versus movements that don't again there are there are some good and bad movements like the disc herniator machine um but there are also movements that are fantastic but don't work for some people they're not appropriate for some people um you're gonna have to spell that out for for the listeners now what is the disc herniator machine (laughs) the disc herniator machine is the one you like you climb into it you sit on the platform you put one hand on there's like handles that come over your shoulders you put one hand on each side and then you like flex or bend forward through your abdomen and then extend so the ab crunch machine. That's the, that's the one. Yep, that, that makes sense. Either. All yeah. right, so <laughs> yeah. ladies and gentlemen, do not use the ab crunch machine. Yeah. But, it's, but it's good for your core and back. It says it on the picture. No, it's not. It's Please sad. don't do it. Please stop doing it. Yeah. You will feel a burn in your abdomen. It is not what you want. Yeah. Wrong type of burn. Given that you're, uh, um, you're on the nerd spectrum, and I say that with love because yes. so am I. Nerd alert. Yeah. We always say it with love because I I think it's great. What is the most impactful book that you've read in the last year? Oh, we love finding out from our guests. Year, I'm trying to think. I've read a lot of textbooks in the last year. (laughs) I'm trying to think about. um, You can go beyond a year if you need to. Yeah. Given that you've been stuck in, not stuck, but like very much in textbook mode for a, a while. A while, yeah, a little bit of time. Advances in functional training was huge for me. That was. Quite longer than a year ago. <laughs> Being a chiropractor, all of Stu McGill books uh, yeah. were very big for me. And I, I first read Building the Ultimate... What is it? Building the Ultimate Back? Building. Isn't it Building the Ultimate Back program? Something yeah. something like that. Yeah, I, we have it upstairs. I was like, I have, I have low back disorders. Uh, building uh, the Stu? Ultimate Stu? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so any, any literature by Stu McGill, if you have any sort of back problem, yeah. read, read Stu McGill's yeah. books. Back mechanic also, very good because it's uh, lay terminology. And... Yeah, that's better than the textbook version of his most recent publication, just from layperson. Yeah, but Building the Ultimate Back, I actually read it uh, when I was Olympic lifting full-time oh, yeah. uh, with, with Varbanov, and I went to see him speak. I read it, I took notes, as nerds do, and then went to see him speak, uh, where we just sat on chairs and listened to him all day, which I thought was kind of ironic. Um, <laughs> but it changed my bracing strategy, and all of my Olympic lifts went up by like 10 kilos like the, the next week. Obviously, it wasn't tissue change. <laughs> Obviously, it was... <laughs> Obviously, it made a difference in the way I difference in the way I braced and recruited muscle and that sort of thing. But 
Um. <laughs> I'm glad you said that because bracing is, I harp it, I harp on it so much for my, for my clients, yep. just in terms of for strength athletes, yep. it's like, I have to do this and this. I'm like, you're weak through the core. Mm-hmm. If we figure out how to breathe and brace a little bit better, your lifts are going to shoot up. Yep. So it, that's a huge take home for anybody who's trying to get stronger. And you huge. can't get stronger through your core on the disc herniation machine. No, nope. We're just going to keep no repeating good. that until we're done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Is your non-negotiable self-care tool that you do every day? Oh, my non-negotiable self-care tool that I do every day. Um, it so it varies. It's it's time by myself, basically in my office. Sometimes it's legs up the wall. Sometimes it's mobility, but it's basically quiet, low sensory stimulation uh, time, often with a little bit of of movement and like low load, low threshold type movement. Yeah. Okay, Freya. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> There's a reason we got along for so many years. I also like to lift heavy things, though. Exactly. So. It's the contrast. Yeah. I actually used to get super annoyed when people are like, oh, you're just a runner or you're just a this. And I was like, no, no, no I like all the things. <laughs> I will take all the movement. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had five minutes with someone, and you often do with your patients, but if you had only five minutes, what is the one thing you would try to impart to help them with their well-being? And this can be a, to a specific population as well if that helps you narrow it down. Mm-hmm. Um, mindfulness is usually like one of my big fo- focuses when I'm working with patients, especially if I only have a little bit of time with them. Because it, I, people hear mindfulness and they think mindful meditation. And then they think I'm going to sit still and listen to someone with a calm voice say stuff. But mindfulness goes way beyond that. Mindful movement, like mm-hmm. thinking before you set your brace and bend over to pick up a barbell. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking before you start cleaning out a grain silo or bin um, about the way that you're going to move makes such a difference. Just being aware, like so often, and it's different in Toronto than it is in Swan River, but so often we just get so consumed with what we have to do and what we're doing and Mm -hmm. what we need to accomplish that we don't think about how we're doing it. Um, So just teaching people, yes, I recommend the calm app, but I also recommend that people take a second, they take a breath, they're conscious of how they're breathing, mm-hmm. and then they focus on what they need to for most of the time. That's setting a brace so that they move properly um, and then they're not putting excess strain on their body. I love that. And uh, finally, where can people find you? Oh. Where, uh, <laughs> other than going to Swan River. Yeah. Other than traveling to Swan River, <laughs> Manitoba. Where can people find you, Jenny? Uh, so Instagram, uh jenny t underscore dc d is in dog c is in cat uh that's my instagram i know and those it's, stand for dog and cat i'm sure of course they do i don't have any cats i have two dogs um not Take so that much, cats. Not so much, i'm not so much of a cat person um or in swan river mantle yeah or in swan river and what we'll do is we'll link everything in and any uh resources oh, we do have there. a website we do, you do evolve, have a website evolve chiropractic mb.com so, perfect there we do we'll link that in <laughs> Lovely. And we look forward to visiting you there when it's not minus 40 and when we don't have to go ice fishing. Yeah. It's, I, but I, I like ice fishing. I heard it's nice in the summer, but I haven't, I've yet to experience that. So. I will say Manitoba lakes and weekend life is wonderful because mm-hmm. they have such horrid winters that they fully check out on the weekend and everyone goes to the lake. Mm-hmm. And so they are way better at tuning out than uh, people in in Toronto, I find. Yeah, and I've seen more wildlife there. Mm-hmm. In the time that I've been there, I have my whole my whole life. I've seen elk, I've seen moose, I've seen deer, I've seen coyotes, I've seen wolves, That's I've awesome. seen foxes. Any wild trash pandas? No, I haven't seen a single raccoon. <laughs> 
That's because they're all in Toronto. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I think that's a good place of any to sign off here. Jenny, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Me. And uh, we will see you guys next time. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.